Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us for the weekly update Fridays at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Uh, good morning. One correction. I'll be flying that, that Friday morning, so I guess it'll be Shabbos Nachum before we're back together isn't that a, next week. Isn't that appropriate that we'll reunite Arab Shabbos Nachamu? Isn't that appropriate? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you mentioned that. And yes, I will now remind the audience that the 23rd of July will, please God, be our next weekly update. When the... Um, when 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 Kevin McCarthy uh, sends out a tweet that says Democrats just blocked funding to resupply the Iron Dome, I mean, o- often when reports like this come out, you explain why that really is or isn't true. What's the story in this case? Okay, it's again a complicated one, and uh, obviously the Republicans will jump on an opportunity, as with Democrats, to uh, play it their way. This is actually a transportation bill. And they were uh, adding this amendment, and the objection was procedural. Many of our best friends in the Democratic Party voted for it. It was 218 to 209, strictly along party lines. And it was not an objection to the the substance. It was to the procedure. And, um, you know, obviously it it gives comfort to to those who are hostile um, when headlines, you know, jump out right away. But you notice that it died very quickly uh, because it wasn't a, a substantive rejection of ATIS. So many of those who signed are, in fact, strong advocates and are um, supporting other legislation that would, in fact, uh, help replenish the supply. So we'll see when that vote finally comes to the floor. Uh, but we shouldn't overreact to this. And in the same... I think it was the same tweet. Maybe not. Maybe it was a different one. And not to make the whole show about Kevin McCarthy, frankly, but he writes, while Democrats defend anti-Semitic remarks from their own members, Republicans will always stand with Israel. Malcolm, I I know that obviously we have to thank our friends in the United States Congress. That's quite obvious. But I wish some of them, you know, the same complaint I have about other leadership, I I wish some of them, especially in the Republican Party, would stand up a little stronger and make their voices heard a little bit more when it comes to the anti-Semitism going on right now in this country. And I don't know if you agree with me. You might say that the, that what they do is sufficient, that they're always out there. It doesn't seem to me that they're doing enough. Nothing is sufficient right now, and that means we need to see, and, and there are initiatives, whether it's supporting for IRA, they're usually bipartisan uh, when it comes to the issue of anti-Semitism, usually overwhelming majorities, except for the few great crackpots right. uh, who support it. Uh, but... Yes, when when people speak out of turn and make sometimes outrageous statements, or that people who are affiliated with the party, uh, you know, you can't be you're not responsible for what everybody says, but you do have an obligation to try and isolate and to to speak out clearly, and that means committee assignments on the part of, of the well, the Democrats control the committee assignments now. The uh, there are other ways that they can send uh, strong messages against those who, who engage in the kind of rhetoric that Omar did uh, in the past week. There has to be uh, statements, and it's true when it comes to universities in their uh, districts or their states, when there are uh, acts of, of uh, hatred and bigotry that they have to speak out. And we see the tremendous unity, uh, bipartisan unity, when it came, comes to what happened in Surfside. I mean, that should be the, the standard. It shouldn't be such an exception that 
you cross party lines that uh, DeSantos sat next to President, uh, Governor DeSantos sat next to President uh, Biden and complimented each other. I mean, when, that should be the basic rule, and the exception should be the contentiousness that exists. Yeah, but it sort of reminded those of us who remember, uh, reminded us of the old days, where unfortunately, in this case, it was a tragedy, but you know, there was basic respect and the ability to actually sit with others and to say something nice about them um, when it came to Washington, and that's something, obviously, that has been dissolved recently. Maybe it's on its way back. Who knows? By the way, I mean, the episode in, in, in Boston, I'm sure the majority of this audience is already familiar with, the news of uh, another blatant anti-Semitic act. I, I mean, again, I don't know... Wh- I don't know what you expect or what you are hoping for. And I say this to you in the context of you being a real leader out there. But but these senators, the U.S. senators from Massachusetts and others on the floor of the House of Representatives should use an episode like this to discuss and, and declare just how outrageous all this is and how it's unacceptable. And it just, unless I'm missing it, it doesn't seem like they're using even terrible episodes like this one, uh, you know, which usually makes it easier to get out there and, and protest. It doesn't look like they're using it as an opportunity to make these these messages known. Well, on some of the occasions, some of the incidents, they do. Um, I, I haven't seen all the reaction to the uh, what happened in Boston. Uh, the problem is it's also becoming so commonplace yeah. that we have these incidents of uh, domestic violent extremists, the DVEs, or the what they call the uh, racial or ethnically motivated violent extremists. The, uh, we had a call yesterday with Mayorkas, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, and who who is Jewish, who is very sensitive and um, has redirected um, attention to to more and more respond, being responsive and helping um, synagogues organizations get massive amounts of funding that have been allocated for security. But the rise in mass shootings, the the um, all the states of emergencies in in I don't know thirty or forty states will be lifted in the coming days, and they're very concerned about the rise nationally. Uh, and that has taken place in the further years and about spikes that will come now. There was, they said that there was um, on the COVID-19 and Criminal Justice Commission that first quarter of 21 showed a 24% increase in homicide over 20, a 49% increase in the quarter over 2019, that we are seeing general violent extremism uh, being manifested in from left and right QAnons and uh, the extreme left groups, which are, are doing so much damage on campuses across the country. I mean, we can't, you can't keep up with all of these uh, incidents. And you have the foreign and government involvement. And I'm going into some detail because we're going to see, I'm afraid, much more as we see the Internet being, being seconded with Turkey, Iran, all sorts of other countries, came Russia, uh, and all sorts of extremist groups. And there's more and more evidence that keeps coming out, and it becomes a one-day uh, story. But in fact, it's, it's, um, it, it is something that is going to be with us uh, more. The FBI said Jews are the most targeted group in America, in, according to the data that they just said this in the last couple of days. So... I think it's it's amazing. There's a group of students that called Jews on Jewish on campus who did a report just of voluntary comments, uh, and they got 1,100 anti-Semitic incidents and and uh, of harassment and bullying on college campuses alone. And they published a list of the 15 campuses which were the the worst. And just one more note: 
that Canada released statistics to show that the attacks, the number of attacks are at record highs in Canada, that Jews were being singled out and targeted across it, whether it's Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Winnipeg, uh, other places. It's um, uh, incidents where they go to predominantly Jewish neighborhoods in Canada. So we should see that there is a, a, a phenomenon. This is, should be Everybody should be awoken to it. Everybody should be making their voice heard on it. And voting is one. Writing is another. And going into streets, there'll be a demonstration next Sunday in Washington. There'll be other events where people can uh, make their voices heard. Uh, it is a, it is a very critical stage. I know people are tired of hearing it from you and I. We've talked about the uh, the incidents that have, have occurred, and yet. It's imperative that we keep repeating it and warning people and getting them to understand the seriousness of this moment. Yeah, well, when it comes to the campuses, it's really legitimate because, I mean, I'm sure you saw the same articles I've seen that, I mean, kids are just afraid to go to their college campus at this point. That's outrageous in this country that a kid is, is, is afraid to go to the college campus. And then, you know, once they find out that they're Jewish or once they find out that they have, you know, Zionist leanings, everybody who used to hang out with them has no interest in hanging out with them anymore. It's really crazy. It reminds me, it was a story here locally. I think it was at NYU where somebody was here as a visiting student from Israel. Okay, but then they found out that the person had served in the IDF, and you know she couldn't find a friend after that. So it's uh, it, it's just it's scary that uh, that even the college campuses. I'm not saying that they're always comfortable and always welcoming, uh, but but I think most Jewish students felt that they could go to their campus wherever it is in this country and feel relatively safe. And that's no longer the case. And don't and remember that the campuses haven't come back yet. Right. So we're seeing all of this, and we see BDS resolutions, Franklin Marshall, 24 faculty members, CUNY Faculty Professional Association, which everybody should be protesting. And thank God there are uh, those who have signed on to, uh, uh, faculty members who have signed on a petition against it, to, to, to uh, uh, professors who have resigned from it. And anybody who knows to people who teach at the NYU should be pressing them to do the same, to stand up against uh, their union. But I can give you examples across the country, and sometimes we raise it. I have an amazing, a wonderful professor at NYU who keeps uh, trying to defend the situation there when, in fact, in that study, the students at NYU came out uh, the worst of the campuses, and I'm sure that had we, if we do an in-depth study, you'll find that it's, it becomes more uh, relative. But we see the rise. Look, Reisi is a known anti-Semite, yet nobody's writing about when they're talking about this new president of Iran who has such a blatant record against America, against Israel, and stuff. And, you know, the persecution of Christians there, they just arrested a bunch of Christians and uh, several, three or so, from the Church of Iran and sentenced them five years just for practicing their religion. And yet the world is totally indifferent to that as well. Mm-hmm. So that those who understand Nymoller, that if, they think, if you think you're exempt from it, nobody will be exempt from it. We will see this persecution spread, whether it's in the Muslim world or whether it's in the general world, that, that the once hate is unleashed, everybody becomes a victim of it. Now that we're on the topic of Iran, I believe the President of the United States reassured the President of Israel this week that under his watch, meaning the President of the United States, Iran will never uh, establish a true nuclear capability. Uh, I guess we have to take him at his word. Well, he did say that on, on in his while well, his administration's in office, they will not get a nuclear weapon. We, we want to see, make sure that no matter who's the president, right. it's, what we do today, make sure no, make sure that yeah. there will be um, 
that there will be no nuclear program. That means we have to make sure that the concessions that are made, you know, there, there, uh, a lot of concessions are made on sanctions already, and North Korea, uh, South Korea has said that the United States approved them for giving some of the, uh, paying off some of the debt to Iran by providing them with medical supplies and other things, which, you know, it's all fungible once you start giving aid. The new president of Iran should make it very clear about what direction that this government is in. It's not, he's, he's uh, truly even worse than, than Rouhani. Rouhani at least put a better face on it. This guy is much more blatant. Uh, and as I said, an anti-Semite, anti-American, uh, says he won't meet with Biden, doesn't want to negotiate. Is, is, and the hardliners now control, or extreme hardliners, because all of them are hardliners. Nobody gets past the, the selection committee if they're not. <laughs> so out of the thousands of candidates, you know, seven made it and four dropped out, so you were left with three. It's like ragged voice, ragged vote, uh, voting, ragged choice voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get you get a choice, uh, yes and no, and uh, <laughs> to vote or not. To live, vote. But, live or but, die. But I just want to say again, the turnout was not what they're saying. The turnout, they say, was 48%. I was told three days before, you will see that the vote turnout will be of 47.5 or 47.6%, because that's what the government determined they wanted the vote to be, even though they know that less than a quarter of the people voted and that a third of them voted against him, and three million ballots were uh, mutilated, meaning left blank, didn't, were, were you know, X'd or other things as a protest, but the majority of the people didn't even vote. Mm. It's a protest by the people of Iran. And the, you see their aggressiveness with the militias firing at U.S. troops in, in Iraq and Syria. America responded to some of it. The, the export of their drone technology for weapons to, to all of their allied states from Yemen, Hezbollah, Hamas. They not only export the drones, but now they, they simply give them the, the technology and teach them how to develop it on their own. And we see at the U.N., the Secretary General says we should waive all U.S. sanctions now, that we have to drop the sanctions in his uh, report. But he can't report that they allow inspectors to go to the IEA, because IEA says they're not allowed, and that they have broken off all the, um, these contacts, saying that the deal expired and they're not going to allow it. And we know that they are violating every aspect uh, of the deal, that they are... Uh, the ballistic missiles developments going in and their regional activity. And we're told, well, that will be part of a second agreement. If you don't get it all in one agreement, it's not going to happen. There's not going to be a second agreement because there's no reason to get if they want. That's it. And that's what we saw last time when they got all these billions of dollars that ended up in the pockets of the terrorists and, and of course, the supreme leader and the RGC because they control 40% of the economy. And the, they, they will, you know, a, a increase their aid, which they uh, diminished right. to Hamas, Hezbollah, Houthis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Malcolm, if, if, you're, uh, if you're on a cord list, try to get as close to your base as possible. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the Network, we're going, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Next weekly update, the 23rd of July, please God, that'll be Erev Shabbos Nachamu. 23rd of July, Erev Shabbos Nachum. Um, look, I mean, before we get back to Iran, which I have to, um, you're a New Yorker, you're, you're a political scientist. What do you think of this aftermath of this ranked uh, choice voting? It's total confusion. Um, Bizarre. 
I can't figure it out. Uh, it hurts my brain to to get into it. About <laughs> these calc- it's sort of like bitcoins for me. I can't figure out both of them out, and um, you know, and you know, it's a question of the choices. The fact that, as people tell me, ten, twelve members of the are affiliated with people with the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, will be in the city council this year. Right. This is frightening. It's New York City. It's people who can hold and be associated with with an organization that holds the hostile views towards Israel. People say even anti-Jewish and um, views are getting elected. That, that people, the turnout is, is still very low. And so every ballot, really, you see how much each one counts. But it's... Um, yeah, boy, oh boy, I'm glad you just brought that up. And we say it every time, if you're not registered to vote, I mean, what more do you need, if you're in this area, what more do you need than what happened in the New York uh, election just now to understand how important every vote is, and especially for our community? Although I did read somewhere that our community did respond pretty well, but we need more and more people to register and get involved. In some of the from communities, thanks to really extensive efforts like the Flatbush JCC and others, they really did a job to help turn out more voters. It's still less relative to other communities maybe they were a little bit better but it shows that if there's a serious turnout you can change it i think they say that the adams victory here in brooklyn was in the margins was because uh in some neighborhoods of the religious community turning out people voting it takes two minutes you can do it in advance and it takes no time I, i walked into brooklyn college to vote i was out in 40 seconds um and no one asked up my ID, and nobody asked me who I was. I just signed in, voted, uh, and left. Yeah. And people so I have no excuse now not to vote. And, and you, you see what's happening to us, to the city of New York, what's happening nationally. we got to vote. And, and uh, if you don't want to see votes in Congress on a real issue like we talked about, there's only one way to change it, and that's who gets elected. And you have off-year elections coming. People are already starting the presidential election for 24. Yeah, Involvement I, I, is key. I actually saw a Harris 2024 t-shirt in Manhattan yesterday. I thought that was pretty interesting. And by the way, I, don't, I blew it on the, on the ranked vo- uh, choice voting. I, I blew it on one of the local, not on the mayor, but one of the local races. I, I had two people for number one. Of course, when they put it in the machine, I just, just, let, just let it go. You know, I'll hope they don't win by one vote. But, but, but I, I had filled out so many all-star game ballots since my youth, Malcolm. So many of them. I, I thought, I, I thought I'd be a veteran at, at this once I would walk into the polling station. It just didn't work out. What can I tell you? All right. Back to Iran for a second. So here, look, you have to explain this because we, we're under the impression, or many of us are under the impression, that the last thing President Biden's going to do is take military activity or military action, rather, against Iran. Yet this week we saw, as you just mentioned, that in, in Syria and Iraq, Iranian installations were attacked by U.S. forces. Explain what happened here. Well, they came under rocket fire, as has been the case for some time from Iranian-backed militias, as they call them. But these are just arms of, uh, of Iran. Uh, who fired on uh, on American troops and American allies, but specifically uh, American troops themselves. And the response was to to send uh, airplanes that attacked bases, and they used huge bombs, 600-pound bombs, 400-pound bombs. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, a minor response where they just did a symbolic uh, attack. They hit them hard. And uh, according to some of the reports, a few people were killed. 
but they obviously did damage, and it was a message that you can't attack our troops, in, and we have a very limited number, and they're trying to, you know, force them out of Iraq uh, with humiliation, not just that they leave, that Americans leave voluntarily, but that they'll be forced out. And I was very pleased that the United States um, responded in, and in a demonstrative way, but this has to be on a sustained basis, and you need a presence in, in order to both bolster our allies and let them know that we're there because if the Iraqis feel that you know they're ultimately going to be left alone with the Iranians and their their um, subsidiary groups then they're not going to take the kind of strong stance that to defend their own interests and and territorial uh, integrity so it's it's very important that we have a, a sustained effort and that we uh, that America make it very clear that we're not going to write off our friends, we're not going to write off regions of the world, that we're going to be there. means maybe it can't be everywhere and with the same strength, but the fact that we're taking Patriot missiles out of the Middle East, that we're taking out parts of our squadrons uh, of planes from, from the Gulf area, these are all undermining confidence and open the door to Russia and China's um, mischief, but also to Turkey and to Iran and to other uh, extremist groups. And countries will base their actions on their perception of whether they can count on America, on the West. By and large, the West is already something that they've written off. The French, the Germans, I mean, they don't see them there, uh, uh, by and large. So this is very serious that the United States... Um, response to the fire from these militias. Were you, were you surprised? Because mainstream media, I th- I would say, were shocked that the U.S. reacted this way. Were you surprised by it? I was surprised by the nature of the reaction. Interesting. Well, I guess it's a good thing, as you just described. Uh, the New York Times has an interesting analysis of the Eviatar situation, the place in the uh, in Yudan Shomron that uh, is now under um, a scrutiny. Uh, they describe that the Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, has had no choice but to come up with some compromise. And I always wonder if compromise in these situations is good, what it says about one's leadership, but I'll get that comment from you in a moment. Uh, and the compromise in this case would be that they're going to evacuate the place but uh, have the military guard the homes until things are decided, see how things go down the road. And this hopefully will placate both the right, haha, and both the left, haha. Uh, in terms of um, uh, moving forward, what, what's your first of all? Is the, is the Times analysis correct about how he's handled this, and what do you think? I think the haha is right. <laughs> <laughs> the the um, look, it's a complex situation. Uh, I don't know precisely what the agreement, if if it is part of their of some of the coalition agreements about how they will deal with that this and similar situations. Look, right now they they have to struggle to keep this coalition together. And doing things that will prove divisive or disruptive to the to the very delicate coalition um, uh, are going to be uh, handled with kid gloves, and they're going to look for compromises and um, measures that will sustain the unity of the coalition. Uh, they have to get a budget passed. They have other things that they have to do. They have also some uh, religious issues that will be very sensitive uh, coming up. Yeah, so they, that's right. the, I think that they are going to work very carefully and assiduously to um, not allow things to to disrupt the the coalition. You see, the uh, President Rivlin's visit with Biden mostly dealt with with Iran and, and the assurance that, as you mentioned, and and also Lapid met with um, 
Uh, with Blinken, and uh, we understand that Bennett is going to be invited to the White House. I don't know if it'll be before the vacations or after. Uh, so there is a concerted effort to build a relationship with the United States to deal with consensus things, to you know get gain the legitimacy of the government in the eyes of the people. People do not want another election now. And so any issue like this that could be potentially disruptive, I think they will try to paper over for now you can find a way to get past it and be able to deal with it when the coalition is stronger, when they they also, you know, are going to pass this legislation, it looks like, that will enable parties to be formed so that uh, if a group from, let's say, Likud wants to break off, Right. and join the government that that would be possible there i mean we're very familiar obviously with the with the um the conflict on the right but on the left yeah i think one of the things we need to remember and you'll tell me if this is a ridiculous analysis but one of the things we need to remember is that this arab party that's part of the coalition essentially ran on you know let's ignore the big picture in terms of you know israel palestinian peace and let's get some practical stuff done for our community so I wonder if they're just more hesitant than they might have been years ago if this coalition would have existed, where, you know, they immediately would say, if you don't dismantle, you know, the, the, a place like Yaviatar, we're out of the government. And now they're much more careful to, you know, play it cool because they think there's a real advantage for their future if they're part of this government. Do you think that's part of the consideration? I do think it's certainly a factor that they that uh, Abbas, the head of the Southern yeah. Muslim League, uh, I have to tell you, in the Arab world, they look at it and they say, "Listen, he's still Muslim Brotherhood, but he's he seems to be a pragmatist. He's looking for what he can get for his people, and there's pledges of billions of shekels in aid and dealing with the criminal and cr- the crime situation within the Arab." Uh, communities, which is very bad. There have been a regular numbers of homicides um, just this year already. There, I think there were 40 or so, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it, it is a factor that they are they, that they take into account, and that's why they're looking to build up and broaden the coalition so that you're not dependent upon any one element. And the opposition does not seem to be in a position really to, to challenge right now Right. Uh, and remember, they have the other Arab vote also, which will go with this government if if there's a challenge from the right. But when you ask about the left, you know, the, the left exists, but it's not the same left as you saw before. Right. You see what happened to the Labor Party. You see what happened to these other parties that they and their positions are moderated. They will have their own agendas. They will really pursue those agendas. We're seeing it already. But one shouldn't, and they have leverage because, like everybody else, they can pull out. But they know that in the general elections, they, they score, what, five votes each or six votes each. They don't have big margins. The um, Rivlin-Biden meeting, by the way, is that unusual for the President of the United States to meet with the President of Israel? Or it's happened plenty of times, I just don't remember. When I saw it happening, I said to myself, I just don't remember this happening too often where it's the President of Israel representing the government here. Well, it was a personal tribute to President Rivlin, mm. and it was meant to be a message. And I think maybe the invitation was a message to Netanyahu also that they, that Rivlin, who has been much more conciliatory, um, and reached out to different segments of the population, uh, was a popular, generally popular person. I think has a long history in Yerushalayim. His family came with the Vilna yeah. Gon. Uh, uh, I think that that there may have been a, some political hints in the in the original invitation, but I think this was a gesture. President Herzog was here. President Weitzman had been here. I mean, it goes back way back, so it, it is not that unusual. Often there were state visits. This was not. 
where there was a state dinner, where there were other events. Right. Uh, we met with him. He was here in New York, and we met with uh, President Rivlin when he was he came in. He had a small meeting. He also came back Tuesday to meet with Guterres, who on the same day called for removing all the sanctions, but not with the president. Uh, and, and most of all, that was because Mrs. Golden was here, the mother of Hadar Golden, one of the two wow. Israeli soldiers who are, whose Israeli bodies are being held right. by Hamas. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Did, did, I, I don't even know if you know the answer to this. Did Bibi ever move out of the prime minister's house? Or that Not day? yet. July 10th, I think. Do, you know, do you know if Bennett's moving in or you have no idea? No, Bennett is going to use it for official functions, but I think for the time being he wants to stay in his house. Wow, the people in Ranana must be... Overrun with security, I would guess. That, that block is probably the best block in the country. <laughs> but he, uh, but the house, I think they want to refurbish it. Probably, you know, it's had a tenant for twelve years. Right. It's a long time. And uh, and last time too, when Barack took over after BB, he also delayed his exit, uh, in part because they're preparing their apartment. They have one in, in Yerushalayim and a house in in um, Caesarea. Right. Interesting. Well. See what happens with that. And the people in Ranana, I don't know if they're as thrilled as you think they are. Uh, the numbers are up in Israel. I know we keep talking about deadlines and it's impossible to predict, but why not? It'll satisfy half the people out there that keep asking me, so I'll ask you. Originally, they said July 1st looked like open skies with vaccination. Now the rumor, or at least the way they're projecting, is August 1st. Have you heard anything regarding the latest on this issue? Uh, yes, that nobody seems to really know what the. I mean, I'm leaving in the hope that they're not closing the airports while I'm there. They would actually uh, close the airport. They're talking about taking measures again to reduce the tra- uh, traffic at the airport. They're yeah. very concerned because this is the rise of the, the Delta, you know, the Indian yeah. uh, version, and it's and in many cases children bring it, but also foreign tourists who, who bring it. Uh, unfortunately, even some people who are inoculated but have underlying conditions. Uh, are getting it. So th- there's still a lot of mystery around it, something I- I've said all along to, in our discussions that we shouldn't take for granted. This is over. The people have predicted a surge and whether you need booster shots and many other questions that have to be uh, resolved. And the big question is what will happen in Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot, whether people will be able to go. I know that there have been cancellations um, and nobody can give us a, a solid answer uh, you know, I, I was tested when I was there two weeks ago, and now I have to go through everything again. Right. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, an indoor, you have to wear a mask again in Israel. Right. But the, the likelihood is that they will have to impose additional restrictions. Finally, um, Nikki Haley's comment about the regression of the United Nations. I mean, frankly, Malcolm, it, it's it's basically the same as it's always been. Maybe it was a drop better when she was leading the United States representation there. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd call it regressing. I think I'd call it business as usual. Yeah, I think there's a trend. There's no, there's no big change. The, um, the fact is that you have now an ongoing investigation open-ended by the Human Rights Council of War Crimes Involving Israel. You have the International Criminal Court. you got the UNESCO and UNRWA and all of these bodies continuing their anti-Israel propaganda and, and the, the funding that continues to enable them to carry out these nefarious activities. Um, so, uh, as I said, the Secretary General's comments on the U.S. US sanction, UN sanction, removing U.S. sanctions, um, I think that the the United Nations is not going to go through some radical change. You do see a change in the pattern of voting of some of the countries in the General Assembly. Uh, so we hope that all the efforts, especially the Abraham Accords and others, will yield uh, votes. But 
no one should anticipate we're going to get a majority anytime soon. Nesiat Tova, we'll speak Bezrat Hashem two weeks from now, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Thanks for joining us. Shabbat Shalom, as they say, and uh, everybody should be well, and we should get through the three weeks and look to a much better period. Amen, to say the least. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings at uh, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.